This is That'll Preach, a weekly show on the Four Oaks Midtown podcast. I'm Brian. I'm with Paul, my partner in crime, Robin to my Batman. Where have I heard that before? I don't know. But uh, this is a show where we talk about culture and theology and all kinds of interesting stuff, but we do it with our trademark charm and charisma and just incredible chemistry and banter. We have none of those things. So one of the things, Paul, Paul, we're on air. Okay, listen, one of the things that we're trying to start off with is a hot take, right? A deliberately provocative Are you going to explain statement. to people what a hot take is? Some people, for our older listeners. All right. Okay. But <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what Paul's going to say. This could be something that could get him canceled. This could be something that could get him elected president. I appreciate you thinking right I'm now. famous enough to get canceled. Well, thank we'll you. See. You might be famous after this. So, what is your hot take that you're going to spring on me? Uh, <clears throat> garlic is disgusting. That's false. And people who consume garlic in any quantity whatsoever should be banned from society, or at least banned from like a ten foot radius I'm around me. I'm dead serious about this, Paul. You eat way too much garlic. I, I know. will eat. Yeah, I know you're... a garlic clove, and I'm just gonna with like spaghetti or something. I'll just move to another zip code. I know. Delicious. You're, it gets your heart racing. It makes you feel alive. <laughs> you don't like it gives garlic? You an adrenaline I rush? mean, what about like I, garlic and? Uh, let me clarify. I hate the smell of garlic on people's mouths. So indirectly, I hate garlic. Do you ever get garlic on your? Um, no. What's it called? The pizza? The nope. Blaze pizza? Nope. Roasted garlic? No. Ew. That's just. Oh, that's like you have not lived. You're eating whole cloves of garlic. Yeah. That's yeah. I'm gonna vomit just thinking about it. Well, I don't want to be near you. I don't want to be in the same like zip code. If I have to put up with goat cheese, you need to put goat up cheese with garlic. doesn't smell bad. Like it, you can have a conversation what? with somebody after you eat like a tub of goat cheese. Whereas like even the slightest hint of garlic will like you I know. I do always have gum with me. Well, Probably I mean, because I eat so much garlic. <laughs> and I think you do always I've heard a rumor. <laughs> I've heard a rumor that garlic seeps through your skin. That's why, yeah, Brian, you do kind of smell garlicky sometimes. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I take that as the highest compliment. Okay, it's so you just, don't like garlic on stuff when you take like I would. I would prefer you don't garlic like, less everything. You, but you don't mind eating garlic on things. You just don't like when people eat too much garlic and their breath smells. So I'm defending two claims. One, like a good philosopher, I'll make a distinction. I think I don't like the smell of garlic on people's mouths. So I don't want to subject them to that. So I don't eat it. But two, I also think like eating a clove of garlic is just disgusting. And but the thought of it like repulses Are me. you okay with just having garlic in a dish? I mean, maybe if it's like not discernible, like sure, like hummus is delicious and hummus has like garlic, but it's not like overpowering. And if you eat too much hummus so that your breath smells garlicky, then just stay away from me. Listen. So if I'm avoiding you, that I might be I one reason. Great. I You would think that. But also, what did you do to your hair? It looks fantastic. Oh, thank you. Wow. <laughs> this is just I disheveled to, Paul uh, and Brian at 11 p.m. That's on what we're talking Wednesday. about. Election's still going on. We have it playing on the TV right yes, now. Yes, we do. Offices. And uh, by the time people hear this. Someone people, will have someone. One. And so just to be current with the times. Wow, yeah. that man won. I cannot believe that. Can't man believe won. it. And that the thing people, happened. And the thing happened. That man, that was so controversial. <laughs> I w- I went crazy. You went crazy. We all did. And I can't believe that one. The one candidate said that thing. Yeah, that the other candidate didn't say. And the other, the other candidate didn't say it. <laughs> and the people voted for the one for the guy who ended up. We all know who won. Yeah. We don't yep. need to say his name, but we know he won. We all know. <laughs> 
And uh, the people who voted for him were happy. And I think the people who didn't were not were happy. happy. And because of that, certain events happened after that. Insert customary God is still in control there and other go. Christianese phrases. There you go. So there you have it. That's our election coverage. Let's get on <laughs> to the meaty stuff. What you pay us for. What you want to hear about. I don't get paid. Yeah, well, we'll talk about it later. So <laughs> what we're, we're doing this series called Why Church Matters. That's what we're trying to figure out. We talked about why church matters for liturgy, mm -hmm. you know, the structure of a worship service, how that forms us. We talked about why church matters for evangelism, why church matters just for community in general. Today, we're going to talk about why church matters for preaching. Why, why, why does preaching matter and how is that tied to our theology of Why church, church matters for preaching and why preaching matters sound like two different topics. Just, why, just to be okay, antagonistic. Here's, here's why the church matters. Because preaching happens in the there church. There we go. There we go. That okay. sounds really right. good. Yep. Right. Get off my case, Paul. <laughs> All right? So since we're a podcast called <clears throat> That'll Preach, we obviously have thoughts on this. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. That's well, good. That's You need to think about that. It's marketing. <laughs> that's what we do here. So when we think about preaching, I think in the, in the North American evangelical world, I said North American. Yeah, that was an yeah, interesting very, phrase. Uh, including Mexico. That's like Canada, Canada Mexico. In, Puerto Rico. In the United like, States, we usually make that connection between church and preaching. Like, I don't think I have to make a case that preaching should be part of the church. That's a pretty Protestant thing. Right. So that's not controversial. But I think sometimes when we think about preaching, we think in pragmatic ways or we have sort of a worldly understanding of it. We think there's this charismatic guy who can speak really well. Or and, someone who's really boring. Or boring. And uh, but usually in, in sort of the big mega church cultures, this charismatic guy he speaks really well. He has good points. He inspires you. He's funny at mm -hmm. times, and you go there for the show. And uh, but the tradition of preaching is beyond that. There's a theology of preaching. It's not yeah. just this pragmatic thing where you know you, you just need this Sunday morning gathering where you get your emotions up or something like that. There's something spiritual happening in the worship service. And when we think about it, you know. What's different about Sunday morning is the same thing. It'd be different like like listening to a worship CD in your car versus going and singing with the saints. Like there's something happening in the worship service during preaching. Preaching is part of the worship service, mm -hmm. right? That is unique and that God wants us to partake in. He wants us to be influenced by. So preaching is central to worship. It's central to how God addresses us and speaks to us. And that's really the Puritans talked about that, how when a preacher is properly preaching the word of God, God is speaking through him, right? God is using him as a mouthpiece to minister to his people, to comfort them, to convict them, to challenge them, to teach them, to mature them. So preaching is an integral part of that and an integral part of being part of a church. So basically, fundamentally, there's something unique happening when the pastor preaches, when whoever gets up is preaching. Um, like, okay, so boil that down for us. Like fundamentally, what is the point of preaching? What are the main points of preaching? Because everybody knows what preaching is. Maybe not everyone's thought about like, okay, what am I supposed to be getting out of this? Why is this an integral part of our worship? Like, what is it doing? What, what role is it playing in the, in the life of the church in the life of the Christian? Is it formative? Is it convicting? Is it all these things? So like lay it, uh, lay it down for us, Brian. When you look at the old Testament, one of the ways that God has a relationship with his people is he speaks to them. 
But what you notice is he speaks through mediators. He speaks through people. Mm -hmm. He spoke through Moses. Moses goes up, God speaks to him, then Moses relays and transmits that message to Israel. So you have spokespeople for God, and then you have a congregation that's called the assembly, right? Israel is an assembly. They gather together, they worship, and then they're addressed by God through a mediator, right? Now, what we have in the New Testament is the ultimate mediator is Christ. He's the one mediator between God and man. Right. And preachers, and so the apostles were uh, the appointed people of Christ. So they speak in the authority of Christ, but they also pass down a tradition for people called elders or pastor teachers to continue that teaching in the name of Christ, right? So there is always that sense of preaching is an activity in which God speaks to his gathered people, just like in Israel. And he does it through means, through the means of qualified, in the Old Testament, it was it was either the it was Moses and it was also the, the priests. If you look at one of the things that the priests were charged to do, they were charged to teach the law, to teach the word of God to the people. You read Ezra. Ezra was meant to, you know, th th these people did not know the law of God. Mm -hmm. And one of the things for Reformation in Israel was Ezra was tasked to teach them the law and give them the sense of it, not just read it out loud, but to say, this is what this means. The prophets, what did they do? They addressed Israel by applying the first five books of the Old Testament, Moses' books, to their current national situations and saying, hey, we are doing the things that Moses told us not to do. Mm -hmm. And therefore, God is going to bring upon us the things that Moses said God would bring upon us. And we need to repent, just like Moses said, so that God will bring the blessings that Moses promised. And by Moses, I, all, I mean God speaking through Moses. So, so, wait, so, so you said that preaching is God using this vessel, the right. preacher, to speak his word to the people. But what if I say, I've got the Bible, I've got God's word, God's communicating to me through that. Right. Why do I need to show up to church on a Sunday morning to hear this person who's fallible, whereas God's word is infallible? Um, I mean, like, are they going to give me new insights? Are they doing something extra that I don't just get from reading this book? Like, what's 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 the special added extra dimension there that's so important? Well, first I'd say, if you're just reading your Bible by yourself, you're fallible too. <laughs> right. So yeah. why do you think you're going to get it better, right? Yep. And I, but there's a, there's a real point to that where you look at Ephesians 4, God says, how does the church mature? How do people in the church not be children tossed to and fro by every human doctrine, by all the different ideas? Mm -hmm. What do they need? They need, one of the things they need is pastor teachers, mm. right? God gives the actual, it's interesting. It's, it's not... He doesn't just say, I give you gifts of teaching. He says, I actually give you teachers as a right, gift. Right, actual people. They're actual yeah. people. The mm -hmm. ministers are there. And that's why in 1 Timothy 3, the qualifications are so serious. It's You read 1 Timothy 3, it's like, be a one-man woman. You have a good reputation. Don't mm -hmm. be quarrelsome. Don't be a lover of money. Don't be a lover of wine, all that stuff. And it's like, but that's a baseline for any Christian. Sure. You yeah, shouldn't yeah. be getting drunk. You shouldn't be greedy. You should you should be a one-man woman. You shouldn't be cheating <laughs> on your wife. All these things. Yep. So that's basically, it's not like, oh, I, I desire to be the ministry. I better start yeah, obeying yeah. God. No, now. those are no, the no, basics. No, no. That's right. the, base, that's the right. baseline. The one distinctive that distinguishes a pastor from a deacon is the one qualification apt to teach, able to teach. Doesn't mean that they have to be John Piper. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean they have to be you know, a scholar, it does mean they have to be able to, as Paul tells Timothy, rightly divide the word of God. You're able to take the word of God, explain it to people, be faithful to it, and to apply it to their lives. 
And that's a special group. It's not special in the sense of it's a it's just simply a gift that the spirit gives to certain people. And then there are men called to that office to express that gift in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's how they function in the body. Right. Just like everyone has their part to play. So God basically gifts the church, not just like specific gifts, right. but specific possessors of these right, gifts, right. teaching to guard the church from error, right. to convict, to inspire, to remind, to renew, all these kinds of things. Um, and that is an integral part of the life of the church, life of the Christian. Um, and someone who's not sitting under good preaching is impoverished, is lacking something right. in their Christian exactly. life, right? And when you think about the role of a pastor, I think today it's like there's all these, you know, words of, of, of you know, he's a catalyst, he's a visionary, <laughs> or he's, you know, even the word shepherd, he is a shepherd. But when people think of a shepherd, they think of like, you know, he's your therapist or something or, mm -hmm. or you know, he just hugs you. And now, look, he should be those things to some extent, but the main descriptor of a pastor in the New Testament is a guy who kills wolves. Hmm. He's a soldier, right? Paul says, Timothy, don't get involved in civilian affairs. You're not a civilian. You're a soldier. You're a good soldier for Christ, right? And what he's saying is, or, or you think about 1 Peter, I think it's 5, where, where he tells the elders, you know, look, you guys need to be on the lookout for people in your church who are going to lead people astray. And Paul's dealing with that all the time in First and Second Corinthians. Hmm. And he says, if I show up, I'm going to bring the rod. I'm going to bring the heat. I'm going to come at you and tell you, like, you can't do this, right? And so there is that, that call where a pastor is a defender of the sheep. He fights false doctrine. He fights people who are trying to lead people away from Christ. Hmm. Paul talks about, you know, one of the reasons he preaches, he tells the Corinthians, we just finished a series in 2 Corinthians uh, about that, where he says, my job is to present you as a pure virgin before Christ. Not, not to be defiled by other lovers, mm. right? So there's that, that, that call. And what preaching does is you have people coming on a Sunday morning, listening their whole week. They've been listening to lies of the world, the lies they tell themselves, their own flesh, their own weaknesses, the fallenness of the world. They're facing all these things. And you get 30 to 45 minutes yeah. to combat those, <laughs> yeah. maybe. That's why I think the church should gather more and there should be more preaching. Absolutely, but, yeah. You know, th there's that weight <clears throat> to it. And, and Luther talks about how the, the preacher stands between the devil and God's people, right? He's a gatekeeper mm -hmm. and he's a fighter. When Spurgeon says the preaching of Christ is the whip that flogs the devil. Get him, Charles. Pretty, pretty intense. Get him, Chuck. <laughs> you know, and, and he got that. Mm -hmm. And Spurgeon is a great example of that. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, another great preacher. He calls preaching logic on fire. Logic on fire. She's I great. love that. That's awesome. Right? It's not just this lofty academic lecture that yeah. just people get lost at. It's winsome. It's, it's passionate. Winsome. It's, it's ethos. Pa yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's meant to, and I'm going to quote Tim Keller. Tim Keller talks about the point of preaching is to change people on the spot. Right. Something's happening in the moment. They're not going to remember everything you say. Maybe 10%, 20% mm -hmm. if you're lucky. But what they are going to realize is, you know, man, something's happening to me while I'm hearing God addressing me, right? right? And that is a powerful, powerful thing. Hmm. That God is speaking to his people and you're changed on the spot and you multiply that over multiple weeks, you're gonna be a different person if you're, if you're con consistently under the preaching of the word of God. It's not just an information download. Right. God is in the act of talking to you through the medium of preaching, is relating to you, he's loving you, he's caring for you, and he's there with you. 
right? So it's, it's not even about thinking about preaching as not just, it's not an information download, but it's not even about primarily about new information, right? But it is about framing things in certain ways to remind you of truths that you already knew, uh, putting things in a new light that, you know, quicken your spirit or, you know, make you go just like, wow, like I never, I never thought of things that way, or I never saw God's love for me that deeply, right. or I never, you know, like my sin, you know, you're reminded of the magnitude of your sin. There's, there's conviction that happens there. So it very rarely is like emphasizing new information, but a good sermon, I think is one that like Tim Keller says, like changes you on the spot, changes how you see the world, changes how you see some aspect of your life, whether it be through conviction or just a reassurance of your salvation or God's love for you or like the beauty of the church or anything like that. Um, but those are those transformative moments that do have like lasting impacts in people's lives. And that's why the good sermon is not just the one that leaves you with a bunch of facts, but the one that changes the lens through which you see the world even just a little bit. Right. I mean, MacArthur talks about, John MacArthur talks about how one of the best, one of the things that he is so encouraged by, and people need to encourage their pastors because it's, oh, yeah. it's it could be discouraging work. Who's listening? Is anyone caring about what I'm saying? Is this mm. even making any sense? But one thing that encourages MacArthur is when people come up to him and say, now I understand. Hmm. Now I get it. Yeah. Something is clear about this text that wasn't before. You've helped me interact with God's word better. And, you know, so much of that is, it, 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 you know, MacArthur talks about how he, he was at this conference where there was a workshop where all these pastors were manipulating this styrofoam cup to... To represent their self-image. And MacArthur just takes a cup, punches a hole in the bottom so there's a hole you can like look through it. He says, and he's done. Mm -hmm. He waits 45 minutes. <laughs> and then the person comes up and says, what are you doing? Like you're supposed to be manipulating this to look like your inner self. And he goes, no, this is how I view myself. I'm a vessel through which the word of God flows. Right? Mm -hmm. And that should be the attitude of a preacher being like, I'm just trying to be faithful to, this, to, to the scriptures. Yeah. You know, that's why we, for us, we do expository preaching, mm -hmm. which expository preaching, it just means we're trying to unveil the meaning of the text. We just want to make the point of the sermon, the point of the text. The point of the text is the point of the sermon. That's the whole idea. And it doesn't mean that there's always one exact meaning. Sure. But there's a cluster of important truths that the author is trying to communicate and God, the author is trying to communicate that we want to be faithful to. And we preach through whole books of the Bible because we don't want people to think that you can just pick and choose. If we get to a hard passage, we got to deal with it. Right. And force you to go through the whole thing. Yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> it doesn't mean you have to go verse by verse or three verse by three verses. You can do chapters at a time. Certain books, maybe it's better you just do a couple chapters yeah. at a time. You know, so, so you don't have to do all the genealogies and no, all the... Yeah. Right, right, right. You can you can summarize it. I mean, there's different <clears throat> ways to do it, but the whole, <clears throat> it's the mentality of saying, if this is God addressing his people gathered together, as it has been in the Old Testament and it continues in the New, then then it's not about the preacher's hobby horses or what right. he wants to talk right. about or how interesting his life is or what his jokes are. Something is happening. God is going, I <clears> am <throat> talking to my people <clears throat> and you are my vessel, right? You're an imperfect, broken, fallen vessel and I'm gonna lift you up and I'm gonna empower you to do this. But remember, this is not your show. This is not about you, right? You are a servant to the people right. to bring the word of God to them. That's interesting. It's almost like, like why the church has a calendar, for example, that it's got Christmas and Easter on specific days of the year to right. celebrate in specific times of, you know, mourning before with Lent and stuff like that. Um, because if it were up to Christians to celebrate how they wanted, 
the church calendar might look a lot differently, or you yeah. might you might celebrate however you want. But so there is something about adhering to a standard outside of yourself that forces you to go through the parts that you might not find as enjoyable. So like when you preach through the whole text, you get the whole counsel of God. Um, yeah, it, it one prevents you from just hitting on your hobby horses, and it kind of forces you to preach the difficult passages that might be unpopular or you know sort of taboo socially. Uh, so yeah, you do you can at least bank on getting. God's entire counsel as it pertains to a topic right or you know and yeah I, th I think that's that's pretty good as like a, a measure to guard against you know just the preacher's preferences and you've got to be a good listener mm. this is a part maybe that's not talked about a lot but preachers have to be good preachers but you know how I mean you think about the prophets they're like there's nothing wrong with our preaching we're getting this right it's you guys you guys <laughs> yeah. are deaf dumb blind yeah. hardened in your heart numb to the things of God mm. And we can preach our, our our brains out, you know, we can, we can do everything, but you are just rebellious in your heart. You don't want to hear it. And there's a, there's a responsibility for people coming to church to go, I'm being addressed by God. I need mm. to adjust appropriately. I need to come here expecting God to speak, mm. being reverent, saying, it, it, this is time to listen. Sure. There's something that God, that God is addressing his people right now. And that should cut, that should let you cut the preacher some slack. He's, he's mm -hmm. not, you're not there for him mm -hmm. in the sense of that he has to be, you know, he's not entertaining you. Yeah. Right. He's not exactly. here to home, right. home run every, every week. Mm -hmm. Right. You're coming because God's there. Yeah. You and trust that God's going to give you something. Exactly. Yeah. So, and you have to be. Right, and, and this is why, again, preaching is part of the worship service, right? Sure. It's, worship doesn't end when the songs end. It's worshipful to sit there under the teaching of the word because your king is addressing you, mm -hmm. right? The, as a congregation. And all the preacher is, is he's just an emissary of the king, mm. right? Under his authority. So you go there and you say, just as I want to engage in the singing and and, 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 and I think just as a side note, you know, we have a call to worship, we have a confession, we have an assurance of pardon. It's all leading up to say, okay, is there sin I need to confess? Oh, God is welcoming into his presence. Oh, he promises me mercy. And now he's going to address me and teach me like a father to his children. That's the mentality we have. That's why it's so important. We're, we're, again, we're not showing up for a TED talk. We're not showing up for, you know, some life hacks. We're showing up because God has promised when we gather and we worship as a group, as a local assembly, as a church, he's going to be there by his spirit and he's going to teach us and strengthen us by speaking to us. Our father wants to talk to his children, to instruct them, to discipline them, to help them. Hmm. When you have that mentality, I think it takes away some of that consumeristic preaching idea. You know, we've got podcasts, we can podcast Preachers in LA and New York and everywhere. Right, right. And you can compare your normal average Joe pastor to all those guys, but mm -hmm. man, it's not the same thing. Yeah. Because that's your pastor. Right. He's the one that God has put over you to love you, to nourish you, to care for you, to fight the wolves off, you know, from you. And it should be different. It, you shouldn't be like, man, I could have just slept in and stayed at home and listened to a sermon from my yeah, favorite preacher from the across thing. the country. No, it's no. not the same thing. You don't want to <clears> pull <throat> preaching out of the holistic idea of the worship mm -hmm. service. Which it's doesn't mean it's bad. It. Like you can listen to sermons outside of right. the, but it's not a substitute right. for the it's life apples of the church. And oranges. Right, it's exactly. The, you know, that's edification, mm -hmm. learning, just learning sure. new things. Sure. But you're not just going for the information download. You're going right. because this is an act of worship. 
And God has said, I want you to gather with my people in your local assembly. And I want you to sit there and God is going to address you guys in your situation Mm -hmm. with a man who has been called to shepherd you and care for you, who knows the details of your life. So concretely, as a listener, as someone who goes to church, coming with like sense of expectancy, yes. coming, right. expecting that God is going to speak to you, convict you, do something, right? So there you're, you're like, you've got this almost like anticipatory or you're looking for the things that God has for you. So it's it's not passive. It's, right. it's very much an yeah. active you pursuit. Yeah. And it, it softens the critical lens through which you interpret or listen to the sermon, right? So... You're not just going like expecting to be entertained, but you're expecting that God is going to have something for you. So even if it's not like the home run sermon, like you like it's not going to be home run every single week, there still is something that you can take away from that. And so it involves humbling yourself, involves, you know, even if it's not the best delivered, the best prepared, whatever, you can still, God can still speak to you and remind you of a truth or convict you um, in that medium. And so the expectancy can go a long way just towards shaping your heart and shaping your expectations for for what God has for you that day. Yeah. I mean, it's a challenge to all of us. Mm. You know, are we going uh, to church kind of sitting there feeling like we paid for this to go see a conference speaker? <laughs> you know, we want to get our money's worth or something like that as opposed to being like, no, this is the work God has called us here. Yeah. We're his people. He's addressing us. You know, this is unlike, this is something you're not going to find mm-hmm. at you know, some secular conference or TED talk or, you know, listen to your favorite podcast. And I think that theology of preaching, that changes everything. And there's this like, when you go to like a TED talk or a conference, the speaker is addressing all of you individually. Right. Whereas when you're in the church, like that is God speaking to the congregation. Yes. So it, yes. there's a corporate dimension. Again, right. like we've been trying to stress in this whole series that it's not just you and Jesus here. Like God is addressing his assembly. Like Israel, when when the priest spoke, when the prophet spoke, it was always to that corporate entity. And God's word, it makes you feel like you're, you're part of something that's bigger than yourself, right? It's not just God is convicting you or God has this right. word for you. God has this word for us together. Exactly. And so it, it, that's why it's different from just the podcast or whatever. They're like, that's not your church entity. That's not your church family. And so it is really just a gathering of the family. And God is speaking to the family as one unit. And that puts it in a totally different light. And everything we're talking about in this series, it's all part of a cohesive like whole. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just like it's you you can't it's not just yeah it's not just hearing great songs on sunday it's not just hearing great message it's not just a great community it's all those things together mm-hmm. as a unit yeah that 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 we're supposed to look at it and we can't divorce it that's why you know and this is another tangent <laughs> that's why you can't church hop you can't mm. just be like oh i want to hear i like the worship here and i like the preaching here and i can get now you're treating it like i think matt chandler calls it the ecclesiastical smorgasbord or a ecclesiological <laughs> buffet yeah you know you like pick a little here and a little here and you're missing it it's totally consumeristic it's you want the, it, don't divorce preaching from the lord's day service it's mm-hmm. part of that and once you see it that way i think it'll change the way you listen to sermons mm, that's good thank you guys for hanging with us hopefully this was helpful and uh, make sure you leave a review five stars leave a nice little note for us really helps us out and uh, share this with your friends and that we will be back next week.